Okay, I have advice to you for the next time we do a full episode, and that is you should maybe consider what I'm doing, which is keep the microphone off angle and then swivel it in its stand, because when it's facing forward, I, you just basically are talking like without... You don't, you don't make eye contact with anyone when we record anymore. It's really uh, odd. Okay. It's weird. Like, I kind of deliberately tried to okay, okay. change my setup so that I can see okay. everyone. Sure. And not that their content is different, but it, it makes me weirded out. Like, it, oh. <laughs> I look oh. over there and just see you, like, <laughs> speaking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 150, wherein I give Chris microphone posture <laughs> advice. Thanks, Jake. Don't mention it, Chris. Anyway. I lean away from the mic to breathe in. What is that? Chocolate rain. <laughs> All right. Let's... You're the worst combination of things. Oh, really? <laughs> Coming from me, that means a lot. Hi Hello, there. everyone. <laughs> let's just, just knock this out real quick. It's just a little yeah, note about yeah, how the episode yeah, got yeah, destroyed. Easy. Hello there. Hi. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. We're introducing ourselves, I guess, which is just so our names can be a, a mark of it's shame for what we're about to describe. It's a personal brand thing. Yeah. Oh. I want to be associated with train wrecks. <laughs> so we uh, recorded an Idle Thumbs podcast. We recorded Idle Thumbs episode 150 this week with uh, Jake and me, but also Steve, Nick, and Sean. So all five. And a special appearance and by Jay Allard. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. And um, like I walk in, Clint Hawking surprise reveal partway through. It was uh-huh. like an amazing episode. Yeah, and we had a well, there was a big dog sort of just hanging out, buzzing away, which I guess was a bad idea um, because apparently the episode got like corrupted in some kind of impressively total way that like I've never before seen when we've had audio problems with our podcast. It just sounds like robots having a two-hour long. Yeah, party. it wasn't. It wasn't like pyramid head, pyramid head static that we had on your no. old equipment. It wasn't like one voice dropping out. It it's was di- full digital corruption. It sounds like we're still talking. Like you kind of hear it, but it sounds like it's yeah. It sounds like the big dog in the room, like the way it hears and processes speech, <laughs> accidentally right. got wired into the mixing board, and that's what we have now. Like we have yeah. the audio equivalent of like the Terminator vision. Um, so it's totally imperceptible. Except the part where he was sizing up um, Nick Brecken's clothes in his motorcycle. <laughs> so instead, we record... Well, not instead, but we luckily also have um, a GDC conf grenade that we recorded with Tom Francis, uh, creator of Gunpoint, um, that we're just going to give you this week instead. So sorry about that. So it's, get- a good, it's a good discussion with that guy. Get ready for one the real 150 whenever it happens soon. Yep. Are we going to include a sample of what 150 sounded like? Yeah, sure. Here, enjoy this glimpse into your dark robotic future. And now, the Out of Thumbs Conf Grenade with Tom Francis. It's the first and possibly only GDC Conf Grenade for 2014. I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. I'm Sean Vanneman. And we are joined by special guest Tom Francis, the creator of Gunpoint and the upcoming Heat Signature, and also a former journalist and really good guy. Thanks. Hello. Did you say, like, formerly really good guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, think when he was a journalist, how, he was, that was a dangling yeah, modifier. I thought he was yeah. a great guy, but, he's, but now he's, like, a successful asshole developer. <laughs> so... I mean, please. Yeah. I've noticed that as a Actually, trend. Actually, although kind of... I, I think you've, I, you feel like a pretty good guy to me right now, though, because you're 
badge says media PC gamer on it. Yeah, I'm back to being press for like a couple of days. That's cool. That's pretty cool. How did that? I was going to actually, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, but then, <laughs> um, but then I did. So what happened was, <laughs> but I was not going to. <laughs> I wasn't giving a talk or anything, and I wasn't in the IGF. And so I would have to buy a pass. I was going to say, and then you realize that the <laughs> well, Game Developers like, Conference costs money. Didn't I just money. used to like walk on air and get everything for free? Wasn't there some way you can do that? Didn't in I life? just eat ham wraps you... and ham duets like there was just no tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. okay. Like those tiny little sliders. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Back so, when you were such a great guy. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just right. wanted to give you things. <laughs> So, but now they're like he could afford it. <laughs> so, are you actually? Are you, like, um, don't mean to put you on the spot here, uh, but as a, as a journalist, I feel it's, <laughs> it's safe. Are you actually like filing stories on stuff that's going on here, or are you? No, I'm just committing fraud. Okay, uh, no, I am actually reporting on, but it's like it's totally flexible. I just said like, hey, if I if you give me a press pass, I'll cover some stuff, and it will just be the stuff that I think is interesting, and maybe I can give like an indie developer's perspective on it and talk about cool. like some of the. Um, some of the more nitty gritty stuff, because I think no one, not many people go to the really technical stuff and mm. then report on it to non-technical people. Yes. And that's not all I'm doing, but I'm going to do that for one talk, because um, I saw one about the Havoc AI system, which is like <laughs> a piece of middleware that they're doing, that they are using to like map out all the different ways you can traverse uh, like irregular terrain in like a free running game. You know, like instead of a level designer manually placing a, like a vault marker that says you can vault over this table because it's the right so and use it, this animation, it just like deploys AI it, as yeah, a fluid. Like basically, the spiders across crawl across the whole, across the whole thing. That's he didn't call cool. them spiders. I just made that up, and that was weird. <laughs> they probably no, deploy. Cool, they have a big red button inside of the tool that just says spiders, and when you press that, <laughs> your level becomes <laughs> terrifying. The, the downside is level is then covered in actual spiders, but yeah. changes the aesthetic a little bit. But yeah, I wanted to, oh, sorry, sorry, I just wanted to say that the uh, the like technical level of that stuff is like a little bit beyond what I actually properly understand, but I can get most of a handle on it because it's about sure. it's about segment casting, which I haven't done, but that's a bit like ray casting, which I have done, and so I can like take my best stab at giving a layman's interpretation of what this actually means. And basically, the underlying message is just like, isn't it insanely fucking complicated when you find out how this right. really simple looking stuff actually works? Right. That's cool. That seems like a really great beat like that that's a good thing for a publication to do even if it only resulted because you thought it might be a good way to go to gdc uh, <laughs> it, it still seems like that that's something that i i wish were more institutionalized you know like i wish there were more um i don't know and i don't know what format would come in because obviously as everyone here knows it's really time consuming to make a game and it's not as though People making game have t- games have tons of time to go, you know, report on things all the time. But yeah. I do think it's a really fascinating area. Like, um, Gama Sutra has a bit of that for sure. Um, although most, you know, most of the stuff on the Gama Sutra front, Gama Sutra front page is uh, full time editorial staff. But um, even still, it's also more trade focused. It's, yeah. it's it's industry true. reporting for industry readers instead yeah, yeah, yeah. of yeah. Instead I guess, of developers reporting. I guess Game for, Developer Magazine used to have. Used to be more like that because Game Developer Magazine would have developers who would write con- like each month there was the programming column and right, the but even audio so that was still so for the intended audience is exclusively developers whereas like you don't see PC yeah, gamer covering yeah, it's, you're totally um, right. like various things in the casting genus like spider casting uh, <laughs> <laughs> spider casting is a new one to us yeah 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 I, yeah I wonder I I guess it just is more complicated to put that together. Also, I think developers like developing games, and then when you say, "How do you feel about going and 
writing a bunch of stuff that is not your video game. Yeah. Grumpy. Yeah. I think it's also a lot of, I always found when I was interviewing people, um, that they kind of fell into the category of can talk really, really well to press, but doesn't really understand the technical side of things or understands the technical side of things and doesn't understand how to phrase it in layman's terms. Or I think a third category where people probably can phrase it in layman's terms, but they feel like they can't. And so they, I had so many interviews where I'm talking to someone who really, really knows their stuff. And I really want to hear the stuff, <laughs> like mm-hmm. the really nitty gritty stuff, even if it makes no sense to me. And they just won't do it. They'll just say, oh, well, it's just very complicated. And it's just like, you know, right. there's all these methods. <laughs> and that was always like a little bit frustrating. I always want to say, look, it's fine. If you just babble a bunch of stuff I don't understand, at least it'll have the accurate information. And I can, if I do make sense of it, I can, you know, actually make something interesting out of it. Right. Hmm. That's a good point. I mean, that's something that I guess maybe the way that this, I guess maybe the way that this, uh, this is addressed is just from the other angle, right? Because when, you know, Tom, you're talking about interviewing someone for, you know, explicitly for a, a consumer audience, presumably. Um, and so there are all of these like expectations about what it means to give an interview about your game. And like, it's intended to be a promotional thing. And, you know, it's supposed to highlight like the things that are awesome on the end user side and, and blah, 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 as opposed to being about, uh, process and, and technical considerations and things like that. But also now there are a lot of, not a lot, but there are some developers who are trying to show more of the process just directly without going through an intermediary. And maybe that's just the way that stuff gets out there. Yeah. You were the king of that. You do that. For <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I, I think I probably hit the thing that people are worried about with that stuff, which is that it does go over people's heads and some people, uh, the most technical stuff I've been showing has been with the game I'm trying to make in Unity, which is like, because I'm learning Unity at the same time, I actually show people my code and just say, here's what this line is doing and that kind of thing. And that goes really techy and in-depth. And uh, it's, I don't think those are getting as much interest as my heat signature stuff, which is much simpler. And I just show you, here's what I made. Here's, here was the universe on day one where it had stars, but it wasn't infinite. Here's the universe on day two where it is infinite. And uh, explaining how some of that stuff works, but not in like an actual technical way. And that stuff's done better. But I don't really care about the other one. I think the way I see all that stuff is like, it is kind of promotional, but that's not really why I'm doing it. I'm just kind of, I just want to talk about it a bit. (laughs) Like I'm working alone in a bedroom and I just kind of want to like, here's what I did today. I'm proud of it. I want to show it to somebody. So I show it to everybody and it helps like a little bit. You get like a, a small following of people who like this stuff and want to hear yeah. about it and most of them are actually developers there like um particularly those sort of aspiring developers who often comment to say like oh thanks for doing this because i you know i've worked on something like that myself and it was interesting um and they're never going to be like uh a big a big enough audience to actually be you know make your game a success but i think there's some value in having that following all the way from the start because yeah I guess people still saying about Gunpoint, like, oh, I was following that from day one. <laughs> like, literally, the, when you started making that game, I started following it. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I think that stuff's really important. I mean, like it's I, a... Oh, go ahead. No, I just... It's really easy to sort of, like, especially as you move forward and have more success or whatever, like, whether it's commercially or whatever, to, like, forget that, like, that's important to the process. And focusing it, like, if it's like if it doesn't equate to dollars, right? If it's not like, oh, well, this equated to like ten thousand customers or five thousand yeah. customers, but like being able to externalize your process is like the most important thing ever. That's like, yeah, that, I don't know. I think it's really good. And also to to have a small number of people who have been with you since the beginning, 
it's that's really powerful both like mm-hmm. to the, the people they tell to play your games and also to like keep you honest <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah keep you yeah. honest to the sort of things you want to make it's cool that it's, there's something that is sort of emotionally i think very valuable about that because on the internet uh mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Jake. <laughs> Jake perks up. Mm, My domain. Uh, uh, internet. Oh, but you know, it is kind of inherently transient. You know, like it's right. it's very easy to just jump around uh, from community com- to community or product to product. Especially the way games are marketed. You know, like stuff tends to be like really pushed hard at launch and then just like fall just falls away. And so when you do manage to have a a community a group of people who have been following you for years and years potentially like there's something that's really i think powerful about that um for for both parties involved like it's it's uh because it's something that you can't there's no shortcut to it like there's no version of it that you can just have a theoretically huge marketing budget and then have that retroactively like it only exists like it's proof that you're that you've been engaging and that you've been like staying honest to something that those people were interested in for an extended period of time um you know like we recently had all of our like crazy idle thumbs 10th anniversary stuff and we had these crazy paintings to our office and like the guy who did uh like the my painting for example has been on our forums for fully 10 years and it's like that is a crazy thing to think about (laughs) you know like you say people you obviously it's not a majority of the people who played your game but like to know that there are people who saw the thing that you're making now, like when you started doing it in your case, I think that's particularly fascinating because you had not made a game before or you had not published a game before. Um, so that means that those people have been witness to the, to literally the entirety of your game development <laughs> career. Yeah. That's what we thought actually. Yeah. Like that, that to me feels very powerful. Yeah, that, that yeah. should hopefully make you feel really <clears throat> uneasy, and then use all you funnel all of Gunpoint money into Gunpoint Two, which is completely <laughs> silent mode, closed development, yeah. and then bring three specialists in at the very last minute to recruit like a street team, like a Gunpoint street team, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then that will go viral, and it'll basically have like the same effect, um, or maybe like a bigger effect, or like you know, <laughs> it'll definitely hit more quadrants, and there's going to be like some yeah. sort of halo effect. Well, attached. you're gonna, you're going to get newer and better customers that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, think, yeah, of, yeah think about yeah. the key. Younger, I hope. You'll yeah, be, yeah. You'll be just as young as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a way I can monetize teams in this? Of course. Oh okay, yeah. Good. You step one is the, is to monetize those teams. <laughs> that is step one, two, and three. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Do you guys feel like you can't show too much too early because your stuff is more narrative driven? It just depends what you. You yeah. just show different things. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think so. There are certain things that are that are like. You know, to to what you were saying earlier about some of your more in-depth stuff, like there are certain things that are just not quite as conducive to showing all the time. Um, like definitely at Double Fine, we found that people loved big in-depth programming posts, but not those can't be the thing you put out like every week. Yeah. You know, because it's just the, the audience of people who's going to like really get a lot out of that is fairly small. But like when... Like, for example, Oliver Fronsky, the lead programmer on Broken Age, like when he decides just like, okay, I'm just going to deep dive into like our shader system or into like a crazy bug roundup. Like he'll just do that once in a while when there's something like really cool that he can talk about and then people go nuts for it. But like, you know, there's certain things that are more repeatable. Like you can always show early art. People always love that. Um, And then narrative stuff. I think there's that that there's less of a um, 
like mechanical process that you even could show there. Like yeah. it's, you know, writing is like revision and, and things like that, which um, don't show up in like a set of right. It, it ends up being photos. Like, check out how we're developing the story. It's a photo of a cork board with a bunch of post-it notes, all of which are blurred. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and even yeah. that, like that, for example, is interesting as part of a, like snapshot of like right. this is what our office looks like right now. Yeah, this is what that board looks like. It's roughly this cluttered and crazy. But like, yeah, you're not gonna, you're thought, not gonna want to keep posting that in detail. Like, I backed the um, Broken Age Kickstarter and I followed that thing really religiously. Yeah, and I thought that they did a really good job of of showing the evolution of the game, even though it was a uh, it's an adventure game. Obviously, it's just story by by basically just taking a core sample of that one of that one environment and that was the, you know you'd yeah, the, the, little cloud, the cloud, cloud colony screen yeah. so you just see that go from uh, a really rough sketch to a little bit better sketch two characters walking around inside of it the characters talking to it having effects to it getting lighting and they just did that devoid of all context yeah um, it's really impressive actually because i watched what is it like six hours yeah. about the development of that game and then i played it and like nothing was spoiled really yeah i knew was, what the yeah. two main characters looked like and that was it like, yeah they yeah. did a great job with which that you would have known anyway because they would have yeah. been in all the articles <laughs> yeah. for the game yeah. yeah but no jake that's a really good point like that that's it's yeah i wonder who's i don't even know whose idea that was i don't really remember um but it it was really smart in that it allowed an incredible deep dive into an actual real not like sham part of the game but yeah, I mean, you get there and you're like, oh, right. I know that this exists, but, but you don't know anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, we have to still sort of figure that out. I mean, we are obviously putting a bunch of stuff up as we go, but yeah, what we do and what we do and don't share. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're going to actually like make crazy rules about it. It's more to sort of yeah. what do people end up actually mm -hmm. want to dump on the blog naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's I think it's, I think it's the pretty, full script. I'm also, like, never worried about giving anything away because I know there's like, you kind of, you know, there's certain things that just would never, yeah, make their way there that I think are going to be the, like, really like, keystones of the experience. You know what right. I mean? Like, and so much of that, the, it's not even an issue of being narrative, right? It's more of an issue of just it being handcrafted content. You know? Yeah. Like, it's the handcrafted content stuff that has to get like like really revved on and like really polished and like it's that last five percent that's a really hard part with that and it's kind of hard to just show that stuff as a snapshot yeah but we have with enough other stuff going on which is really nice because it's like not an adventure game like it's there's like movement mechanics and like yeah. <laughs> like a dialogue system and like yeah we're you know we've built some tools like and that stuff is i think pretty great or is that great to talk about I actually didn't show story of gunpoint when I was doing it. I just, I made the whole game without a story and then I added the story at the last minute without showing anybody. And then <laughs> it went through like one test with the story in and I changed one thing about the story and then it just reached the game. Mm -hmm. So it was like the actual story part I didn't show. Um, but I did show, I guess, handcrafted stuff because it has handcrafted puzzles and I had to demo the game in some way. And so I showed levels that, and I showed me completing levels, which I guess was a spoiler for those puzzles. But I never heard anyone complain about that, I don't think. Yeah, the story, gunpoint having a story was... Uh... It was a good surprise for me. <laughs> like having followed the the blog and you know, like oh, this is a game where you smash through windows and punch a guard a million times and wire <laughs> doors and stuff. Oh, okay, just kidding. There's also all this crazy interstitial dialogue tree stuff. It was really good. 
I mean, that's basically the model we're following with Firewatch is we're just going to make the whole game and then we're going to... And then just, put, just, just sort of jam the story in. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, just put it in any cracks you can find. That's why I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally did put it between the missions. <laughs> like, it just, <laughs> mission's exactly the same as it was yeah, before yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a conversation it's, after it. It's so funny. I mean, this is... Uh, I don't know. I don't have a really great point to make about this. It's just sort of a general observation and uh, maybe it won't go anywhere. But, like, it is funny. Games... How and, uh, This is true of not just games, but I think it's especially true of games because they're so diverse and such a wide variety of things. Like you talk about, you know, you made this whole game and you like stuck a bunch of story into it. And, you know, it doesn't feel like that to play it because the structure of that game, it just, it naturally makes sense. But there's other games where you play them where theoretically the story is more like tightly woven into everything that's going on, but you still get the feeling that it was kind of like bolted on later. It's funny how it, I don't know. That just goes to, it's one of the things that reminds me that like best practices are so often meaningless. In well, they don't actually mean anything. It feels like the singularity of vision is actually the thing that matters. Yeah. Right? Like even though you weren't writing the story while you were developing the game, you weren't not thinking about it. No, I had a plan. I yeah, had a plot. Right, you know, it's and like, yeah. the I there was a period when I sat down and figured out what the plot was, and then I didn't write it for like you know a year, and then a year later I wrote it, yeah. the actual script, and the uh. The hard part of it, like just writing a story was pretty easy. And then the hard part was like, why is this story 20 buildings in a row <laughs> that you break into and get to a computer? Right. Yeah. And so that's difficult. But once you've done it, then even if your plot is kind of worse for it, uh, at least hopefully, like you say, it doesn't feel like that one was jammed into the other because like the story is about breaking into 20 different buildings. <laughs> that's what yeah. I wrote a story about. Yeah. And I guess can, I was yeah. willing to... I both am the writer, but I'm willing to uh, be abusively dismissive of the writer and say, like, you, your job is not nearly as important as anything else. So you just got to work around the fact that I made 20 levels. Sorry, I made 20 buildings. You got to come up with a story that fits Well, when that. you're the same person, <laughs> fuck it. Like, yep. you don't need to worry about offending yourself. <laughs> I can treat myself as badly as I like. Yeah, really. yeah. So on the subject of the technical stuff that is hopefully interesting to lay people at GDC, um, I saw a... An AI roundup talk, like micro talks, where mm. AI developers all share like one quick tip. Was that at the AI summit? Yeah. yeah. Um, and most of them, like half of them were incomprehensible. The other half were quite obvious. <laughs> and then there was one that was about uh, just which animation, uh, when to play animations if they are the same. So in it was by an animator for Grand Theft Auto. So... They obviously have a problem. There are loads of civilians all around, and if they play the same like eating animation right at the same time, it starts right. on the same yeah, frame. Yeah. It looks instantly like robots, so uh, it kind of breaks everything. And so the basic tip is like, okay, if like you've got bagel eating animations and you've got three of them, and you've got two people sitting next to each other on a bench eating bagels, then make sure they don't play the same one at the same time. Delay it by at least a second. Like it's talking about the technical side of making a cue for that and making sure that they, yeah. they check with each other. Are you playing this bagel animation? Because I'm about uh, to play this one. And then, okay, I'll delay it by a second. Just saying that, just saying the one thing about the bagel thing when you start extrapolating that out to like complexity of fucking Grand Theft Auto and city. Like the number of people you can you can have within your frame at any at like one time in that game is staggering. But then the really interesting thing happens when uh, you shoot them. <laughs> if you shoot at them like you don't kill either of them but you just shoot a bullet next to them they both have to react to a gunshot at the same time and they have to react yeah. kind of at the yeah. same time but yeah. they can't because you don't want it to look uh, stupid and obviously if you fire a bullet into a crowd no matter how many reaction animations you have you're going to have that problem yeah um and so he was talking about like you know if it's if you can delay it by like a second 
but if it's a gunshot, you can't delay the reaction by a second. Um, so he did a lot of experimentation, experimentation to find the sweet spot, and he reckons it's 300 milliseconds. <laughs> you delay it by 300 milliseconds, yeah. it still looks like a reaction, but it's just enough that you don't, it doesn't seem, you don't spot you the don't animation the step. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he showed a demonstration of it, and he shot at the two guys eating a bagel, and they both got up, and they were playing the exact same animation, but you really wouldn't know. I couldn't tell yeah, it was the same animation at all. I, I love talks like that where they someone just drills down on a very specific yeah. topic. Like, I don't know. Do you guys ever see like this? It's like a legendary talk at this point. But like, I think it's Jamie Greaseman. Who was it? I don't want to get his name wrong, but it was the uh, Halo Two Halo sniper co- rifle. Okay, I heard about talk. this, but I didn't yeah. see it. It was like changing the reload time on like the Halo sniper rifle from like whatever point something seconds to point something seconds, and like how they arrived at that uh, and like how that rippled out into the entire, into like every facet of the multiplayer game. It it was, it's a great, great, great talk. And it's, I, I feel like one of the reasons it's become really uh, legendary is because it's so emblematic of like that, the exact kind of thing you're talking about of like finding those weird magical points where this is all just bullshit. Cause it's all just made up numbers going to a computer, but like it's possible. Yeah, it was Jamie Griesmer. Um, uh, the, th- the, the weird like moment where you find like some kind of truth in this like system that you're making, even if it's just to represent like people reacting to something or like finding something like some beautiful balance in a fucking sniper rifle reload. Right. Which like, isn't necessarily saying anything deep about anything, but like definitely has, like we, you know, Sean, we were talking about playing. This is Halo Three. Like we were talking about playing this game, and like there is something like sort of sublime about many moments in that game. Mm-hmm. And like, to you're not thinking about this kind of thing when you're actually sitting there playing it. But like, ultimately, I strongly believe that like we can have conversations about that because this fucking guy, like this is the name of his talk, because he did this shit, changing the time between shots for the sniper rifle from point five to point seven seconds for Halo Three, <laughs> like that, that like. <laughs> That point two second change, like he he unpacks like what That's that means. The title of his talk. That was the title of the talk. God, yeah. That is the most boring, but also completely it's fascinating. Incredible yeah. 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 Like it's, 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 it's well, on. it's a well titled talk because <laughs> yeah. you know he would not have the confidence to call it that unless he was going to deliver the goods. Yeah. yeah, like no one would call their talk that and be like, anyway, just kind of made it go a little slower. <laughs> I think it's better. I thought it should be slower. <laughs> it's good, right? Felt better. Yeah. Here's it's, all the people uh, we pulled. <laughs> they liked it. Uh, so anyway, I don't know. That stuff is, I think, cool. Yeah. And like hearing people who know their shit, like expound on that stuff. I think it's fascinating. I think, and that kind of talk, I think can be really fascinating both to technical people who, for whom it's like very practical and like, ve- like actionable, you know, on a day to day basis, but also for people who just think games are cool. And like, everybody knows that aspect of Grand Theft Auto kind of instinctually, even if they don't think about it all the time when they're playing the game, because as soon as you start explaining it, it's like, oh, right, of course. Like, obviously, that's a huge problem. Like, and, and even, I can even think back to times in Grand Theft Auto where that illusion has been broken. Like, I can totally imagine times in Grand Theft Auto where everyone reacts the same way. So, like, clearly, it's a huge problem that they have to think about all the time. Um, I don't know. I think that stuff is really cool. Yeah. Games. <laughs> so, have you guys heard about Peter Molyneux's GDC Orange. I don't think so. No. <laughs> this is, as a journalist, this is the biggest story, clearly. Is it really? Uh, it's... Because, I mean, 
any other game developer, clearly it wouldn't be, but I mean, feasibly. Well, wait till you hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> this is told by Elizabeth Simmons, who interviewed him. Oh, yeah. I'm, and I'm, she, she tells the story this week. in the form of a comic in which, at the end of the interview, Peter Molyneux suddenly throws an object at the ground. <laughs> and she says, what was that? And he said, it's an orange, but it slipped out of my hand. <laughs> I was trying to throw it and catch it like a cool person, but it slipped. <laughs> the, the, Doesn't that seem like the most perfect end for Peter Molyneux yeah. interview? Just throws an orange at the floor. <laughs> it's a moment God. of just utter bafflement. The, the, the way that I, when you started when you started explaining his response, I thought. So you said he threw an orange at the. He, right, you thought it was going to be the, and like he's I thought. He, I thought he was grand. Metaphor. Oh no, 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 that's not what I thought. I thought it was just going to be. Uh, I, I was holding an orange and it slipped. Like the notion of <laughs> oh, him yeah, yeah, just spiking declaring it. and then saying that he just said, "Oh, it just fell out of my hand." Yeah, but like, but like, <laughs> but like, like a weird, like passive, like, like Vladimir Putinism. Yeah, like, exactly. exactly. <laughs> right. What I meant to do so was I'm, not what you saw, but a different yeah, thing. Right. Like, what, yeah. yeah. I should make it clear that I'm interpreting it from a comic which is, does not fully represent the motion. And from the comic, it looks like maybe he just dropped it, but then in his explanation, like he was trying to catch it like a cool person so if you have an orange in your hand you want to catch it like a cool person you've got to kind of like throw it up and then like and then you catch you... it from the top you know that thing oh maybe? like oh yeah right. oh, I, I think that's what snatch it, it out of the air yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, so in my head he like so he just spiked it drops it and like just yeah. it on the floor yeah it's i hope that happened it's <laughs> you guys got any gdc news <laughs> that's you you might have you do yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh so Not really i haven't okay. seen, i haven't even seen that much this is my 11th consecutive gdc i I ducked into an, a talk. Um, there was somebody from the National Endowment of the Arts. Oh, yeah. You the National Humanities? Yeah, yeah. And it was really yeah. good. It was actually, I mean, it was a micro talk. It was like 10 minutes. There was three sort of like academic and like government talks. Very different. <laughs> the first one was really interesting. And it was um, just sort of about how academics, uh, especially with media critical studies over time, and even just like literature, literature um historians how uh important things that artists take for granted are to them to like fill in the gaps of their research and just sort of like Im imploring creators to like really document their work so like wow good job tom <laughs> um <laughs> no but uh i liked it a lot and it also just sort of like made me realize that like i've been sort of like dibble dabbling with journaling and i'll take like some days i'll do like four days out of five and then i'll not do it for five days and it just sort of was like reminding me, like, oh yeah, I keep doing that because, like, not that anything I'm going to say in there is revelatory, but that stuff might even just have personal value. It was really great. It was a really, really good talk. It was b then bookended by a woman from the DoD trying to get you to like subcontract for people to like, do <laughs> military simulations, which I was not super into. Do, do both. Um, like document it well. <laughs> yeah, but those really, documents will then immediately I mean, be actually, destroyed. <laughs> you know, like she showed like a piece of machinima that they had made it looked like it was in with the DOD lady or yeah yeah that yeah, was like the some guy mod. some guy talked like a marine story about like helping him deal with his PTSD after an IED attack Jesus. um so that was actually pretty good but it was still like it's always weird hearing people from the department of defense talk it's very strange mm. it's very strange so like it was just um and I didn't realize until at the end of the talk, she's like, how many people in here are military contractors? And like 15 people what? stood up and I was whoa. like, whoa, like 
I bet these guys really enjoyed that National Endowment of the Arts. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so these are the guys you should be talking to if you're looking to subcontract in this space. And I was like, oh my God. What I on earth? I gotta get out of here. Crazy. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, so but, you were in like uh, the, like, like the, the, the GDC like, tax write-off triple talk, basically. Like, is that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, like tax sinkhole triple talk. Yeah. Like, oh, I meant for the for GDC itself. I'm like, oh, we will happily give three of your agencies time at our... At yeah. our no. But the Endowment of the Arts, though, is actually really good. Like, I mean, there's... There, I'm really excited, especially um, because it's easier and easier to make it like a game that plays and looks good because of the tool sets that are out there to see what people actually do with some of that stuff. Now that like there's government money available for things that aren't necessarily commercial enterprises that are just like oh, valuable. I you, mean. you mean like art, getting art grants and things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, for like art games, like for like non games, walking simulators. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, that was enjoyable. That's like literally, literally all I saw yesterday. <laughs> I wanted to go to the Shenmue talk, and then that was a mm. thing that was not allowed because it was packed. And so then I went to this one instead. <laughs> right. That's cool, though. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Did you guys see that Unreal Engine Four is going down to like nineteen bucks a nineteen dollar month, month licensing, and you get full source access? Yeah. In return for five percent revenue share. Yeah. That's crazy. It's the right way to go. What's totally really funny is. is Twenty-two hours before that, I was on the PC Gamer podcast with Steve, and Steve was like, "Unreal should really just get their shit together and compete with Unity." <laughs> yeah, yeah. The five percent is tough. I mean, it makes yeah, sense. I mean, it's, a, it, it's a bargain like, for what it is, yeah. but like, it I doesn't. Mean, can, it doesn't make it an automatic decision. It's really challenging, right? I don't know. I think for a lot of developers, it will be. It will, I think will for, be an automatic decision. Yeah, people, I think for a lot of developers working at a very small scale. Yeah. Like there's oh, a lot of, I was going to say people who are working at a scale a little bit bigger than Unity. Oh, that, maybe that's where too, source I, access is valuable, and you'd you would trade five sure. percent for yeah. just full engine code access. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I guess I was thinking of maybe, maybe the thing I was thinking of is too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I might be thinking of too specific a use case, but I was thinking of developers who have spent years in AAA and are like yeah. intensely familiar that's with say, with yeah. Unreal technology because I know a lot of people like that who then leave to go do their own thing, and if they could just jump directly in and be like well also, jesus 20 I, bucks a month it's just a, it's so cheap yeah because yeah. isn't unity has a subscription but it's 40 is that right 75 75 wow yeah. it'll Why be interesting it? to see how unity 5 pricing is now yeah. that they all announced unity is, 5 yeah. then unreal announced or it's epic announced that the, all that stuff <laughs> thank god it though. took I years for this mean. to happen but it's funny that the like just software or like not just software but like digital goods kind of pricing and subscription just um sea change that's been happening everywhere is like finally coming to this to like the stodgiest possible right you know like legitimate of competition stuff. of like, people trying to get yeah yeah yeah. yeah when yeah, adobe yeah. did started doing creative cloud two yeah. years ago that was like that felt okay like a big it's it's thing. people and it's yeah. awesome creative cloud is fucking great i love it i know i don't pirate photoshop anymore <laughs> <laughs> well like, i knew like 80 90 percent of the people i knew including working professional artists and graphic designers just didn't own a license to any of that stuff and now everyone does so that yeah. good work with those guys mm-hmm. i'm surprised that they charge the 19 dollars. like that seems like so low that for why not I, just make it free I, I why not just make it simpler well, and it's like because, 5% of your because because they there's i yeah i see what you're saying i mean i guess as long as there's any price they're still getting some benefit out of it but i think at the scale that this is likely to be licensed they just want to make sure that's not going to be a support nightmare like you I feel like it's better to charge something and then say there we are offering some level of support than to offer 
free to everyone and then yeah. none. Like that's right. just, yeah. yeah. When you want, hop is yeah. Like, if you're like completely just a hobbyist and you're never you're not intending even to ever like monetize this commercially, then then you don't really care. But if you're at the level of someone who like doesn't have much of a budget but has can afford to put a bit of money towards it, I think you'd rather feel like if I if I really need like that support, there's something there. You know, it may not be like the level of enterprise kind of support they offer to clients who are just licensing the whole thing outright for a million bucks. But like, I don't know. I is, that, like, is, the, is that also still in play? $20 a month for full source code access or a million dollars. <laughs> I assume they still have standard like yeah, AAA licensing for people who don't want to give a percentage. And like, yeah, who, yeah who, well, that's true. Right. need like really high level of support with like frequent. Cause I mean, if you're working at, at the AAA level in unreal, like you often, Epic will work with you on right. You need to be able to actually call someone up on the like, phone who, yeah, yeah, yeah. who is real. Yeah, Why yeah. the hell does it work this way? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think, but I, I just know from, you know, I, I, everyone knows this. Like dealing with free services on the internet is awesome. That so many of them are free, but it's it also can be incredibly frustrating that there just isn't even the option in many cases to be like, God, I would just give you a few dollars if you could just. If I felt like I had any recourse when something goes wrong, like right. we, it just feels like we're all kind of at the mercy of these weird, like, you know, bizarre services that are just now infiltrate every part of our lives. And right. so I, if you're doing something that actually requires like a high level of craftsmanship and technical. Imagine work. if the Unreal Engine infiltrated every part of your life. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> yeah. God, I think the world would look amazing. It's like magma embers. Ah, uh, yeah. Do you guys know about the... Uh, <laughs> sorry, this is going to be a total change of subject. <laughs> that's, totally yeah, that's, that's welcome and required. Yeah. Uh, the alt-control exhibit at GDC? I don't know that. It's about alternative controls. Um, oh. Alt-control. Um, is it like a news group? Alt-recreation.wearables. <laughs> it's really good. You've got to go there. Um, it's unfortunately it's a bit of a bullshit thing to talk about because it's like here's some things you can't play at home because they require right. this weird controller but it is worth uh, saying how fucking nuts some of these are and my favorite was um, by Drocken the guy who did Star Seed Pilgrim mm -hmm. he's made Analog Defender and it's Defender uh, guns at the bottom you're actually you're not an individual like moving turret you have three turrets at the bottom of the screen and then there's Space Invaders coming down to um Wait, didn't uh, Defender the side-scrolling game, or am I thinking of something else? Maybe. This is called Analog Defender, and it looks like Space Invaders. Okay. Um, and the alien is coming down, but your input method is a steel briefcase <laughs> that is open on the table and is full of knobs and dials and sliders and <laughs> flick switches and a cable that goes between uh, one of the display and one of, like, three sockets. So it's a big, like, um, I'm not sure what they're called, but the thicker audio cables. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, kind of quarter inch. like these or oh the quarter inch yeah like, like a, just, just like the big yeah. old yeah, old yeah, style yeah. big satisfying jack. like yeah, thing yeah, you, yeah. you stab it into the socket yeah. and you are trying to manage all the power systems of your turrets i guess and so one of the three things you can plug the display into is power then there's wave and then there's mode and when you plug it into power you see the power levels of your three different batteries and you can kind of switch between them with this massive chunky rotary dial switch thing um and when you switch to a battery, you can like uh, a little like um, power level kind of bounces back and forth and you've got to hit the button to lock it at the maximum power that you currently have the capacity to support. Then you switch to the next battery and optimize that one. 
And then once you've done them all, you unplug the wire and stab it back into like wave. And wave is um, power like determines the like width of the beam of the laser you fire and uh, how big the explosions are for the um, explosive weapons. And then wave is about like the accuracy of those things. So they go a bit weird if the wave isn't synced. When you switch to wave, you see two waveforms, one of which you control with two sliders. One is uh, changing the amplitude, one is changing the frequency. You want to match that wave and it tells you you've got like a 97% match. Then once that's good enough, you unplug again and plug back into mode. Mode is the different weapons you've got access to and you kind of, you have to manually kind of rotate this dial to uh, choose which direction you're going to fire in as well as which weapon. So for each weapon has three different directions it can fire in. So you, like, when the enemy's on the left, you've got to turn it all the way to the left and then uh, hit the fire button, which is a, a big, chunky actual button. And then there's three switches that are under those like safety caps where you have to flick them up yes. before you flick them. And you can only use them once each per game. And they're all like smart bombs, basically, right. but, uh, of different forms. And all of the controls work all of the time. But if you don't have the display wire plugged into the one you're using, you don't really know what you're doing. So like the power ones, uh, if you want to charge up your power, all your three batteries, you want to plug it into the display because you need to see what you're doing. You switch between them, get the levels right. Then when you're actually playing, you fire your guns a bit and your power is depleting. It says on, on the screen it's like down to 20% or something and your guns become puny. And so then you just reach over and change the power dial without even going back to, to actually displaying the power because you know one of the other batteries is, has some charge in it. And it's not until they're all depleted that you have to actually go back and you know get them all back up to their power levels. This sounds amazing. It's so, so good. This sounds also, totally the, fascinating. The game itself is rendered in ASCII and the ASCII, well, like it's rendered in characters that are colored. And the code, uh, the text that you're actually seeing is the code of the game, <laughs> which is, is just there, the most lo-fi, you know? beautiful thing. I don't know, probably, actually, I won't guess. Um, but yeah, like the manual uh, task of playing that game is so like physical and clunky and yeah. low-tech and like it's desperate as well because there's no pause. It's always, yeah. they're always coming down for you. You always know they're coming for you. And also when you're switching to these other dials, you can't see them yet. So you've got to go back to the, the uh, firing mode to actually see what's going on and defend yourself Jesus. and it's so you're just good. scrambling across the control panel fuck i gotta stab it into the wave sink the wave no the amplitude's good enough <laughs> go back to power we need to charge the battery no just switch the battery and fire no the left fire and then what was this made for what what was it? just that box i think no, <laughs> i think i know no i know that but i mean like what prompted was did he make this for a particular event or like, like was this he commissioned or something um i think so but i don't know the name of it there was something on the ex explanation yeah, um, yeah, yeah. thing that said it was made for X where yeah. X is the thing I can't remember but Ooh, obviously it's, it's a perfect exhibit God speaking of um, speaking of just kind of crazy cyber experiences and that's not cyber but like, speaking <laughs> of, of cyber like, experiences like, actually, was games about games about crazy technology yeah, yeah. Um, uh, um, Brennan Chung was oh. showing Quadrilateral Cowboy at the show, it's actually just on display in this section on the ground floor of GDC called the Mild Rumpus, which is just a kind of play space sponsored by the Wild Rumpus, which puts on that party every year. And uh, on the first day of GDC, I think it was the first day of GDC, uh, Brendan just played through the opening. It took him like half an hour because he was talking while he's doing it, just the beginning of Quadrilateral Cowboy, and uh, just talked over it, just gave live dev commentary. I don't know if you saw this. No. No. Um, it was really cool. It was um, this game that he's making that he's been working on for a couple of years now is about um, designing. Uh, it's essentially about designing a like virtual heist 
plan for like four agents to infiltrate a building and like steal something. And you as the crazy kind of cyber hacking Lord sitting in your control room are like virtually inhabiting each of these characters to like run through this scenario and like hack into the laser systems and the doors and the like security cameras, security cameras and air vents and all these things to allow these agents to like, uh, pass through and uh, steal this shit, and so you and like as you're you're running around in the in these missions, you can like mantle up walls, and there's a lot of physicality with the world. But then there's also the hacking part where you're actually typing in commands into your like mobile computing deck to uh, like disable security precautions and things like that. Uh, so anyway, it's like an extremely complicated game um, because you actually have to type things in and like string together these commands that will result in these cool. Uh, um, like performative kind of hacking things. Uh, and uh, there's a doorbell. Is someone else here? Yeah, okay. it's uh, no, I know who it is. I just mean, oh, yeah, somebody's here. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, so, um, anyway, so like he's been taking this game around to festivals and shows and stuff for the last like, year, basically. And he's been, it's been serving as like just constant ongoing playtesting. Uh, which is super important for a game like this because it's not intuitive at all. Like it's just the it's like the opposite of what most games, how most games operate. Like this game constantly requires you to like stop and assess the situation and like type a bunch of shit. Which is there's almost no games require you to type things unless they're explicitly like a text adventure game, and that's the entire interface. You know, like this game is it looks like a it looks kind of crazy, but it also effectively it's like a stylized first person. Game, yeah. Like, like you run just, around yeah. with WASD and like, you know, click on things and jump and stuff. Um, but also you fucking hack into things nonstop. And he was saying that like, he's had to learn how to make this game actually parsable and comprehensible and fun and something approaching intuitive to people playing this game. And what's cool is because since he's taking it to um, shows like PAX and Indicate and stuff, he gets a huge age range of people. So he gets like eight, nine, 10 year old kids all the time because they're like, you know, excited to go to these shows and play games that aren't out yet. Um, But it means that this game that is like, would I think on its face be targeted at probably a slightly older demographic than just most video games, just by virtue of how complex it is. Like he's actually having to learn how to make this playable by kids um, cause that's been part of his audience for the last year and he's been achieving it apparently, which is like incredible. Um, uh, it's been cool seeing how he has been thinking about how to train the player to understand how these commands work and how the general just world systems interact without like locking you into a step-by-step tutorial or just throwing like full page explanations up on the screen that, you know, lock your camera, uh, while you read them. Like he's, it's really cool. It's like very inspiring and impressive. Um, it was still also like uh, Chris, you and I watched. We watched a guy play play yeah. through it on the on the show floor for like a half hour, and even knowing the tiniest bit about how that game is supposed to be played, watching someone just assess it for the first time is like it creates the feeling of wanting to jump over the couch yeah. and like tell <laughs> yeah. the person exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. what to do more than yeah. anything in the entire world yeah. because of because of all that stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Also, we don't know if the guy started playing from the first second. Yeah, of the I don't game think that he did. I like, think he jumped into the middle yeah. of it and was just like, "Okay, I have a DOS prompt up." Yeah. But um, it was it was cool seeing like uh, Brendan's 
Brennan's very weird aesthetic of this sort of, he's got like the sort of weird muted shapes, uh, like mm-hmm. just like everything's very square, cubey stuff. And then he'll have just a weird sort of fanciful interjection on top of that of like really nice piece of graphic design or a, mm-hmm. a, a character with a really expressive looking face. But it's funny to see that stuff in quadrilateral cowboy in service of telling you what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. Like we were watching a uh, like pneumatic tube that contained a door combination slowly moved through a laser grid and whenever the alarm went off instead of just an alarm going off three rotating alarm lights like spring loaded (laughs) bouncing out of the wall and just like dance all over the place and it looks like it's it it's a moment that makes you laugh in the way that like a lot of Brendan's weird aesthetic choices do, but yeah. also you know that he did it so that no matter where you happen to be looking on the screen, an yeah. alarm light will fucking yep. come flying into view yep. and tell you that something is going wrong. And uh, which is so it's so yeah. cool because you know the other way you could do that is a full screen like right effect or yeah, you know he, like, he's, like, he's keeping it all in world, but the world is becoming increasingly just heightened and weird right. because of the fact that the world itself now has to just yeah. harass the shit out of you. And it's, he's the, it's cool. The, one of the things I love about watching. I mean, playing it certainly, but like you almost get, you almost sort of get the hilarity of this more by watching someone else play because you can look in all the corners of the screen because you're not playing. You're, right. You don't need to look at the actual mm. relevant part. Just the weird little details that this guy throws in everywhere, like make those moments where like three crazy, like uh, alarm deployers, like just spring out of nowhere, like make totally sell that because everywhere in the world, there's just absurd little details like the little alarm bell fixture that rings the bell is this like hilariously detailed um, little. It looks like they could be old, like an old bell that would be above a shop door and it rings whenever a new yeah. tube comes into the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like the um, little device that you use to um, like photograph the documents oh that you gosh, have to scan oh, yeah, right. is little, like this like... crazy little assemblage that sits on the table and animates a little camera that like moves the pages one by one right. and does a flash photography on each on each of them. And it's like it's so much more weirdly dense and specific than that device would needs to be at all. And the other thing I like about it is that it's so much more dense than like most of the world geometry. But it makes your perception of the whole world feel like it operates at a different scale. Yeah. Because there's these little things Absolutely. throughout it, it makes but the be, big walls feel deliberate. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But they're everywhere. They're not just at yeah. these like important moments. It's like the world is littered with that stuff. When you look around, it makes me it it makes me feel like when he's developing the game, not just this game, but his games in general, it feels like he must let himself sometimes just get into like the hilarious mode of spend two days in the doctor yeah. photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just or even something more mundane, like just weird little um, like nut and bolt fixture for like a grate or something. Like, uh, let's just, what if this was like this? Like, and just sort of get into the sinkhole of, of just sort of fiddling away on something for way longer than it actually needs. But the result is that he actually applies it with a sort of infuriatingly strong artistic <laughs> consistency across the whole thing. So it just feels like this is what the world is. Like, but all think- the shapes are big and blocky. But then the details are 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 very intricate, and then the texture work spans everything in between. But like in a way that is not jarring at all. It's if you wanted so to, cool. if you wanted to like psychoanalyze Brendan from his game. I think you could draw some conclusions about uh, his geekiness from the fact from looking at the level of detail in which different things are rendered. So the <laughs> right. the technology and the equip the systems and anything that's mechanical and uh, 
nerdy and interesting is done in meticulous, incredible detail, tiny robotic arms and like beautifully modeled and perfect. And the characters have like meter square heads. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> people yeah. are just big blocks. Except then, you know, but then he draws a really expressive. Yeah, face the faces are yeah, really good. Does, exactly. It's a great style. And the yeah. funny thing about it's, it's the funny thing about his games is that the character interactions, like it's true that the characters are rendered in this like very um, like rough style. I mean, ge- ge- geometrically anyway. Um, but the funny thing about his games is that even his games that are totally um, mechanical, like uh, Adam Zombie Smasher, probably more than any of his games, is like very, very, very mechanics heavy. At you know, Flotilla as well, and yeah, Flotilla as well. Like the actual moments when characters interact in those games always have such, um, even when they're like gags, have such poignancy, like such. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know how to put it, but like, you know, when, when, when the little, uh, interstitial cutscenes pop up at Adam zombie smasher and these just like hand drawn, like comic panels of like a man and a woman talking and you're like, what? <laughs> like, why is this in this game? It's perfect. It's funny because <laughs> a lot of it feels like it's, it comes out of a really practical mentality of like, I, you can, you can look at, um, the art in quadrilateral cowboy or uh, 35 developing or gravity bone um or like what you're saying about the comic panels and and also just the fide- the fidelity choice is kind of mapped yeah, to totally i will render this out to the required fidelity for its point to be made and no more than that so like right. a person can be a cube head as long as they have a well-rendered face, face yeah or like the most efficient way to deliver the story in adam zombie smasher is probably just comic panels because mm-hmm. it, that game necessitates a story told visually yeah. in between but those, but his those panels actual execution are like, of, of have this those, like fine ah, line work yeah. and like really <laughs> like you know you, a nice wall can be a wall, but a document camera probably actually needs to exist. Yeah. But then the actual yeah. specific choices for how that is made are infuriatingly awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. It's, and even the yeah. like he's got these little I, one of the things that I, I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but it, it speaks to Jake what you were just saying. Like the early in the game, you start with a kind of really cleverly stripped down version of your deck where it's not a full computer where you can actually type anything in. It's just a little screen. That's like the, you know, the screen is the size of basically a like feature phone screen or something with about that resolution, that like about that resolution. Yeah. Like a graphing calculator. And it just has like three commands, like door two dot open three for like three seconds. Um, or like, you know, laser, to dot off or something, you know what? Which are the things you're going to have to be typing later? Yeah, and you just scroll up and down with W and S, and like the W and S keyboard keys are like rendered physically on this device as if someone just hacked together this thing, and for some reason chose that up decided that up and down would actually be W and S <laughs> like they are in a in a video game. Like I love that those parts about his games where he just takes the construct of like the video game knowledge and just says, "Well, no, that's whatever. That's just like what this that's what this device right. is." Um, and it feels it doesn't feel like uh, stupid or cheesy. Right. Like it just it just because the entire thing is rendered with such loving detail, um, you totally buy it. And like that thing is of a high degree of detail. But then the little like weird in world prompts that say like you know right click to hack or something are in like a old timey script on like a placard that swing out from a wall and that is given this like sort of um, like a little like wrought metal frame around it on this like hinge assembly with like incredibly high level of detail, like the level of detail that you would expect in like a triple a game or something, but just on this weird little tip 
placard that swings out just so you <laughs> notice it. And it's like, I wonder if that, if the intention of that is like by being comparatively high density and like high level of detail relative to like just the flat wall this is on and everything around it, like is the player's eye just sort of instinctively drawn to that as like this, this weird example of, of um, visual like flair. I don't know. It's, I don't yeah, know if that's of... on purpose or if he just thought it was fun to like mess around with that. And then in playtesting, it turned out it worked, but stuff like that I find fascinating about his games. It's like a level of weird um, scale, like playing with scale relationships and level of detail relationships that is, is pretty uncommon in games. Cause usually a game that tries to represent the world in like even a remotely realistic fashion that that stuff tends to be more consistent mm-hmm. so that everything feels like it's created from the same materials and like, you know, physical processes. I don't know. I Brandon Shaw is fucking smart. Yeah. That's a good note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sitting down with us, Tom. Thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah, anytime. For sure. Cool. Anytime just come on by. Yeah, so I mean, like, to America, fly, fly over. <laughs> if you can just like keep praising all the things I do in like really embarrassing ways, that would be fantastic. Cool. Just, <laughs> just make great stuff. Yeah, man, that's, that's on you. all you gotta do. No big deal. Just all right, cool, man. Bye. Yeah, thanks again. <laughs> See ya. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> what are you doing? It's not making eye contact. I just don't feel like making eye contact. I got this mic in front of my face. Yeah. I'm just staring into Jay Allard's gaze. <laughs>